0: Welcome to the Talking Recruitment podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC's podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Welcome along to this episode. Good to have you with us again. Lots has been going on across the industry since we were uh, last together to record a podcast. I think a couple of things that I draw out in particular: the Chancellor's statement at the end of November on the spending review, which clearly, while it was mostly about government spending in the next year and plans for supporting the economy through the the COVID pandemic, did also contain some really interesting things for the sector around support for the unemployed. The REC is an Kickstarter gateway organisation to support recruiters in uh, supplying young people with opportunities and there's a whole slew of other things we're doing at the moment with our partnership with the DWP to support that transition and it was great to hear recently Mims Davis, the Minister, say what an important role recruiters have to play in tackling the unemployment crisis. So lots to follow up on there for the REC. Do keep in touch with uh, us on that as we go through the winter. But also new around the apprenticeship levy, a long-standing REC campaign there to reform the levy and make it more effective in supporting people into work, and a big commitment by the Chancellor to looking again at that. We're following up that with the government at the moment to see where we can get to, to make sure that the the levy that that firms pay can actually be used to support people into training opportunities that make a difference, rather than that that money being lost to the Treasury, as it is for so many agencies at the moment. Aside from the government news we published at the end of November, our latest Jobs Outlook, I think perhaps no surprise in the fact that there was a slight downturn in sentiment on permanent recruitment as England went into its four-week lockdown. And of course, we also had actions from the governments of Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland but temporary recruitment really holding up well. And the story of 2020 has been, with the exception of the, the initial shock of March and April, temporary recruitment recovering through the year. And that seems to be continuing despite the additional, the additional controls put, put on recently. Beyond that, though, we're definitely seeing that PERM has not fallen back to anywhere like the way it did back in March and April. And anecdotally, REC members are talking very positively about the pipeline into January. So we are more glass half full then glass half empty here at the REC at the moment about the opportunities in 2021. We'll be looking out for our latest report on jobs on the 9th of December, which will give us the up-to-date data for the, the most recent period in terms of what uh, the industry has actually been building, and that'll be the baseline going into the Christmas and New Year period as we move forward and we'll start to think about recovery in 2021. And the REC is very focused on being right at your back, helping you recover and build businesses build your business through the year do take a look at our REC web uh, page which now has a full online renewals function for your 2021 uh, membership you can have a look at that and uh, and renew online if you're an annual payer and do of course uh, talk to your REC account manager to make sure that we we get the programme of support that we're offering you tailored to your business so reach out to us in this time to make sure your REC membership delivers maximum value in 2021 we're right at your back we always are we're in your corner and it's been really positive I think for everyone at the REC to be able to support the industry through tough times this year in the way that we have and we look forward to doing it through next year. Now, turning to this afternoon's discussion, delighted to welcome our guest, Emma Stewart, the co-founder of TimeWise. Many of you will know TimeWise as an organisation which was founded with the the principle of trying to encourage flexible working as a uh, good thing both for individual workers and for the productivity of our economy. Emma, delighted to have you joining us on the pod.
1: Thank you, Neil. Delighted to be here today.
0: Now, TimeWise has been around for a little while now, and you and I have known each other for, for for some time. And I think it's fair to say that we both know that what we mean when we talk about flexible working has changed over that time. If I jump back in my time machine to my early days at the CBI in 2004, 2005, when we talked about flexible working, we were really talking about, Parents, usually mothers, returning from returning from maternity leave. Now we mean a lot more than that. So what does what does flexible working mean to you now?
1: So I think uh, so. We've seen a huge amount of change in the last eight months when it comes to flexible working. That's for sure. But. What we say at TimeWise when we talk about flexible working is there's really three main axes that you can think about it within. The first is where we work. So whether that's remote working, which most of us are doing at the moment, or when we work. And that's very much thinking about the start and the end of your day or your shift patterns or whether it's working compressed hours. And then the third area is thinking about how much we work, which, as you say, I think historically we've often associated flexible working with part-time working and women returners. And actually, it's really important to think about flex from those three axes, because then what we do is we broaden out the debate on flexible working into a much broader sphere in terms of how we think far more creatively about how we design jobs to enable people to be able to have far more control and input into their ability to do their best work in the best way possible, whilst also making sure that businesses, as you say, can get the most out of people, whether it's attracting talent, whether it's retaining talent, whether it's just maximising people to, to work in a way that fits with life but gets the job done.
0: Sort of the zeitgeist of this year has been the idea that flexible working is exploding because we're all working at home. I think it's fair to say that a simple move of location doesn't necessarily fulfil all of the the boxes that you've just set out in as the uh, across your three axes of fle- flexible working. So, what what is the kind of measurement work and monitoring that you're doing, at time-wise, telling us about where we are now? For instance, through the index.
1: Well, yes. I mean, I think the first thing to say is it's really interesting when you look at how we've changed over the, the, this crisis, and actually the biggest shift in terms of of flexible working in terms of employees has been very much remote. I mean, permanent remote working has gone from around about 6% to almost 50%. But there's not been much change in terms of, of part-time working or necessarily shift patterns in the same level. But the the index that we produce every year is also about tracking how many job vacancies are open to flexible working at the point of hire. And we've been tracking the market for Around about five years. And as you know, the reason we we launched the index five years ago was we wanted effectively to try and shine a spotlight on the challenge um, that many people who want and need to work flexibly face when they want to move jobs. So, you know, we all either start work full time and negotiate to work differently, or we may work part time and we may want to progress. When we want to move, it's very hard to find a job that is open to flex at the point of hire, with the, employee saying, the employer saying so. So, the index tracks the ratio of job vacancies that are open to flex, and we have looked at it this year in the context of the pandemic. And the data that we're going to be launching is showing us that there's a bit of a gap between how we're working now and how we think about flexibility at the point of hire. So. So when we look at pre-pandemic, our index last year showed that actually only 15% of job vacancies were able to reference any form of flexible working in the job vacancy. So that means 85% of vacancies don't say anything about whether it's possible to work flexibly at the point of hire. We, having seen such a seismic shift in the way we work over this last year, we're expecting there to be... I guess a huge spike reflected in how we talk about flex from a vacancy perspective. But actually what we found is the increase has been really minimal. It's, it's now 22% of job vacancies in the UK over this year on aggregate are now showing that it's possible to work flexibly from the point of hire. And I guess it's just a, it's quite an interesting piece of data to look at because it's telling us that you know we've all worked differently and yet there are still some question marks about how proactive we are when it comes to designing roles and advertising and trying to hire people to say that we are open to the conversation about flexibility to candidates as well as to offering it to the people that we know as our employees. If I think about back to the peak of the crisis
0: I I said to a few people, almost kind of slightly self pityingly that my experience of the first four or five weeks of the crisis wasn't, or four or five months of the crisis, was not working at home. It was living at work. And I think there's definitely something in not assuming that just because people are in a different place, they are working flexibly, albeit that what this crisis has Exposed and we had Jane Haynes from GSK on the pod a few weeks ago and I think she was quite clear on this is, you know, how we manage people needs to change because people aren't always going to be there and that, that potentially hasn't fed through yet, but it could be a powerful tool for encouraging flexible working. Mm. It does, it does require though, doesn't it, businesses to think a bit differently about how they construct teams and maybe starting to think about flexible working is not something we do for some people who want it but a, a principle through which we design our organisation. Is that fair, do you think?
1: I think that's very fair. And I think you know if we don't come out the other side of this crisis with that shift in mindset, then it'll be a real shame. I mean, you just have to look at the data over the course of this year and all of the poll surveys from employees are saying they want to retain some form of flex. And I think, Neil, you're right to point out that That the back to back zooms and the blurred edges and the digital presenteeism that we're all experiencing isn't good, inclusive, flexible working. It's it's sort of responding to a crisis. But but generally, you know, we know that nine out of 10 of the workforce want some form of flexibility and control in how they work. Far more people than ever before have experienced that through this crisis. And they want to retain it. So I think for businesses who want to think about being future fit, being able to maximise and keep good talent, they are going to need to respond by shifting from what I guess has been a very kind of reactive approach to flexibility, which is you wait for somebody to ask and then you consider it. And we know that from the surveys that we've done. And we did some research with Chartered Management Institute last year and highlighted that actually only one in five managers have ever proactively brought up how people work at, a, at an annual appraisal you know is the way you're working working well for you as well as the work that you're doing so we need to, we need to shift from being reactive to being proactive and we also need to be proactive as employers when looking to attract talent because you know we've got a huge proportion of the population now wanting to work in this way I think if businesses don't respond to that in a inclusive, fair way in terms of creating hybrid working, they may lose people. And for businesses who want to attract good talent coming out of the other side, we have skill shortages in many industries, we need to be competitive, then we should be thinking about articulating that we're open to flexibility at the point of hire because people want it and need it. And the other thing I would say is it's it's also really important because I think there's a lot of people who – As we know, have unfortunately fallen out of work over this crisis. There is a lot of talent out there and there are a lot of people who were in flexible jobs who will need new jobs and they will be looking for those jobs to be flexible. And if we want a really diverse workforce and we want a diverse talent pool, then we need to be opening up to flex, not just in response to people asking, but because it's it's good for businesses as well.
0: That theme of proactivity is one we might run with for for a little bit because if you think about one of the, if you think about the, the the challenges of delivering the truly flexible work place it's it's about people having confidence that they can ask for flexible working it's about companies being on the front foot of course it's about fairness between colleagues as well and one of the things I've been discuss, discussing with people in, in my casual recently is you know, what does this new individualism and this new flexible working rich World mean for the kind of collective rules that we need to have in companies about, you know, how do, how do we put the jigsaw together in a fair way across all of the staff? There's a whole, whole slew of things to that, that require the proactivity, I think that you, that you talk about Emma. Um, I just, let, let me just dig down a little further on that though, because I think if you look at where we've made progress, it's fair to say that the progress has been easier in office based kind of knowledge worker driven uh, firms than it has across the whole economy uh, do you see particular regional or sectoral trends to 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 uh, how people are moving forward on this agenda
1: i mean if we look at the data from the index specific to vacancies it's interesting at a, at a regional level london's always lagged behind the rest of the uk when it comes to flexibility i i think It's catching up. So the ratio of of flex vacancies in London is is around about 20 percent compared to, say, somewhere like the South West, which is around 26 percent. I think there's a direct correlation there between the kind of roles that people often do in in London. And actually, there's a lot more people in office based roles and a lot of employers who are recognising that they need to offer remote working for their office workers. So at a regional level, that that's been quite interesting, but I think the broader point at a sectoral level is, you know, absolutely right. What we have seen, certainly at a, I mean, at a vacancy level, it's more stark even than at the employment level. I mean, clearly, I think there's a bit of a well, there's a major risk that we're we're looking down a sort of two tier flex labour market at the moment of the sort of flex haves and the flex have nots, and unfortunately. I think inequalities are on the rise. We have you know, people who can work from home, maybe working far too much in office based roles. And then I think we also have many frontline workers for whom that flexibility needs to look very different. It's about the control you have on when you work and how much you work, because you don't have much control over where you work. And so there's a bit of a split sort of happening there. But at a vacancy level, we've seen increases in certain industries like IT. In HR, in marketing, even in legal, actually, there's been more of an opening up to considering and saying that employers are open to flex. But the industries that are are not doing this well have historically not done this well. And they are industries like manufacturing, engineering, construction. Less than 12 percent of job vacancies in these industries are open to flex which I think is, you know, it's really interesting when you think about the skill shortages we have in those sectors and you think about some of the diversity and the gender issues and also, you know, some of the the challenges we have, particularly in construction around burnout and and mental health for men as well as women. So I think the point is, you're right, we need a more consistent approach, a more proactive approach to thinking about flexibility. And, you know, it's not a one size fits all. Obviously, if you're on a manufacturing plant, you, you can't take your laptop home. But being consistent in how you approach this as an employer and the fact that you will open, be open to consider different options is very different to having the same flexibility for everybody. As long as we are open to this, we would urge employers to, to consider having that conversation with frontline teams as much as with office-based workers. And there will always be some element of flex that you can find in a role that ultimately should hopefully be able to give somebody more control over the, the working pattern they need right now. And right now, particularly in frontline industries, it, it's really important that we do that.
0: So let's bring this a bit closer to home then, Emma. Um, you know, recruiters have an important role to play here in terms of you know, opening up, Clients' eyes to the possibilities of, uh, of flexible working. We talk about many sectors where, even now in the current environment, we're struggling to fill roles, and where greater flexibility might enable more people to come into the into the labour market. And it's certainly true that that would ease the path of you know jobs being filled across the economy at a time when it's really really important we do that because because the best thing about Ending short term unemployment with the job offer as it stops it becoming long term unemployment, which we know has serious economic and social consequences. So if you think about recruiters in REC membership, Emma, how should they approach that conversation with their clients and and what would you encourage them to be measuring?
1: I think it depends on. Where the client's burning platform is, and as you say, I think if, if it's an industry where we know there are significant skill shortages, then I think just playing back the fact that if they have managed to adapt to ways of working, and and let's face it, every industry has, and are able to be more flexible in their approach to how they design jobs, then, then surely they should say so. And it's just asking the question really, which is, is would you be open to flexibility for this role? That's the first question. And if the answer is yes, which invariably it is, then, then the second point is to say, well, would you be able to say so? Can we say so please to candidates? Because we are sure we will get to a wider pool and a probably a higher quality pool. So the first thing is really just to sort of ask the question and broker the question because often you know we find that businesses will say yes, but they just don't think to, to explicitly say so. And what we know is that, you know, people still are reluctant to ask because there is a an assumption, often wrongly or perception that, that you may be um, disregarded if you ask for flexibility at, at a job interview. And then I think the second thing is, is to look at this from a lens of diversity and inclusion. And we know um, many recruiters. I mean, we we run our own jobs board, so we advertise roles for, for, for many different recruiters and, and resourcing teams. And, you know, the classic question is, please, can you provide me with a, a diverse shortlist? Well, the classic response is we all get one if you say you're open to flexibility at the point of hire. So I think there's something here also about just trying to tackle some of these structural um, barriers that people face and just nudging clients and explain to them why why they will benefit because they will be able to get a far more diverse and a wider quality pool of, of of talent if they do so. And then I think it's about helping them to work out how to say that. But there's lots of guidance. I mean, we have lots of guidance on our website. There's, you know, the more explicit you can be if you're open to it, the better, because obviously being open to part time is very different to just being open to working from home. But I think it's just posing that question and then trying to support the client to explore what they might or might not be able to consider and, and being as honest and transparent as they can.
0: That's very clear and I think uh, as we look at, in on that you know a lot of uh, my experience in employee relations is so much of it is about making the implicit explicit, uh, and kind of a client's attitude to flexible working is an is an example of that. And of course, it feeds a, a kind of wider narrative about the industry that we at the REC here have, which is that as recruiters we are professional advisors and guides for clients, as well as delivery partners. And therefore, this kind of discussion about flexible working is absolutely the one we should be having. I'm very pleased that we'll we're continuing to work together on this agenda in the in the weeks and months to come Emma thank you for joining us today and just before you go do you want to remind people about where they can find out a bit more about timewise
1: absolutely so so timewise.co.uk we have a whole range of, of guidance and support for businesses and for recruiters who want to improve their approach to flex we have a lot of Training and we provide consultancy to firms and we run training for hiring managers as well. And then TimeWise Jobs is our job site. If anybody wants to specifically target a diverse talent pool, we have about 95,000 candidates on our books who want um, their next job to be a good and a flexible one.
0: Thank you very much Emma, thanks for joining us today and thank you to all our listeners for joining us on this episode of the REC podcast if you've enjoyed this one why not check out the back catalogue, we're running up towards having an episode for every every week of the year but not quite there yet, do check out episode 45 on maintaining resilience in leadership in tough times with Anthony Grupo of Marshall Commercial that's a really great listen and one I took a lot from, or episode 44 thinking about how the employability system can work with recruiters to help address the challenge of unemployment that's with Tony Carr Forefront Partners and Joe Ingold from Deakin University looking at some of the practicalities of tackling unemployment in the year ahead. Thank you again for joining us and I'll look forward to talking to you again on another episode of Talking Recruitment the REC podcast. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon, And check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.